With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here, Friday edition. Good afternoon to you. We're going to make the next two hours fly by, get you to the weekend. And there are several players on the course right now at the Country Club in Brookline trying to make the weekend cut for the U.S. Open. Outkick 360 underway, 6th and Peabody, our location with PK. Hutton here. Withrow's back with us on Monday. Uh, Your current leader... Right now, David Lingmurth at five under. And just an update, uh, Colin Morikawa has also recently birdied. So he is now uh, tied for the lead. He is four under today through 10. Lingmurth and Morikawa are playing together. And through 10, he's four under. So that means he's five under for the tournament, tied for the U.S. Open lead. Brian Harmon, Joel Dahman. Those are the two Americans at four under, so just a shot back. Scotty Scheffler, three under earlier today, and that puts him at three under for the tournament. That's good enough for a tie at fifth. Um, We will keep you updated. Rory McIlroy, for instance, um, had a good outing yesterday. He is at two under for the day. He's one over, uh, but he he maybe had the best double bogey I've seen recently. Because he had no business making a double bogey on some of the shots he didn't mean to hit out of a bunker or chunked it out of the rough. But somehow he was able to get off the hole with only a double bogey, and that saved him. That, that keeps him uh, through nine, one, uh, one over for the day instead of it could have been a lot worse, and two over for the tournament. Other uh, names of interest, Brooks Kepka is at even par on the tournament. Minus three uh, was his round today. So three under round puts him at even par going into the weekend. And uh, just some others. It, it, you've got uh, Phil Mickelson. He's not going to make the cut. He's 11 oh, he's over. He's already done. Man, his putter yesterday was horrible. I mean, just horrible. Some of the putts he was missing. Um, tied for a 29th currently at one over. Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, uh, Jordan Spieth is also one over. Uh, so th- those are some names of interest. Zalatoris, right now, uh, Zalatoris, yes. Uh, right now, as it stands, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in the studio, and Davey, um, three over is the cut line roughly still? Is it still right there? I've got it at, uh, at uh, it four over. Okay, so the four over cut line right now uh, is your projected cut. And so that puts... Guys like Sergio Garcia, Jim Furyk, Shane Lowry, Webb Simpson, and uh, our buddy Scott Stallings right there. Stallings is at four over. Now it just moved uh, three over. 
So now it's back to three. So as we see more and more players get above so that top Sergio 56. Sergio Garcia is at plus four just out. Um, and some of the people you've talked about there. Furick outside. Who did you bet, in. Paul, uh, earlier this week? And how is he doing? <laughs> um, is he... Is he better or worse than Phil Mickelson well, right now? Yeah, no, my long shot, I, I'm going to forget his name. He's Australian, and he was... It clearly doesn't he, matter. <laughs> he, he is terrible. Um, Lucas Herbert, plus... Herbert. Plus I don't know. 13. Just... Yeah, Australian, not French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's 13 over for the tournament. Yeah, so bye-bye to him. I, I could be so lucky to shoot 13 over around. Yeah, no kidding. But I, I'm all in. I bet um, – and, you know, I had won money. Uh, I'm also in on Sam Burns, who's tied for 19th, uh, and Matt, Fitz, Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick, who I won as a top 10 guy. What was the Masters' most recent yes. major? I bet Matt Fitzpatrick to win for top five and for top 10. So if he finishes top 10, I'm going to – uh, if he won the tournament, I would really collect. It's going to be a windfall weekend for Win, PK. Windfall weekend. Let's call it. That's a great windfall game. weekend for PK. And Chad's guy, Open. Chad's guy that will get him his ninety-one cents and turn <laughs> it into something. I forgot his name. I was checking on him. I think he he's in decent shape. But Chad is trying to Davis Riley. I think is his guy tied for twenty-second. I like even. to I like to imagine is that um, his guy? Dave, that sounds right. I like to imagine the Withrows driving right now to Gatlinburg. Shot by and shot. They're, they're, well, no, they're not. Oh, that's gas a good, money. That's a good. That's a good uh, thought too. No, they're. I have them in my mind. They're 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 listening to the show on Sports Radio 104.7 in the Upper Cumberland or something, right? And they're hearing us talk about Chad betting, and he's down to ninety one cents. That's news to Angie. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking he's probably guys. Uh, Please let it let it be known. We do not have a gambling problem yeah. in this household. They do not. Um, and he's he, got headphones on. He's cashed so out, and uh, probably uh, you know he's probably paid for this trip based off his winnings through FanDuel. But he's down to ninety one cents in the account, and he's trying to keep it going without depositing more money. That's the gag in the in the uh, joke. Um, but uh, the ninety one cents per day bet, uh, or the thirty six cents bet, or whatever it might be, thirty six cent part. It needs to be a, a thing through chat to see how long he can actually keep pennies in the account. I had one rung up here. We were talking about yesterday while we were doing this bit on his, his true-to-life thing, and I had the games we were talking about, Padres, Orioles, and, um, and Warriors, and yeah. I had it lined up for three-team parlay, and you know it's giving you live updates. And so it had been a green arrow, and it had gone up to like plus 174, and then it red arrowed down. So I had it live on my screen, and I was waiting for it to go back up. And then last night, after all those games came through, I went to look for it, and it turned out I never hit it because the odds were going down, and I was waiting for them to go back so, up, and I could have had a nice little win. You, you know how, like, I, I'm – I'm fascinated by how Vegas, and it's not it's it's a computer system, but there's got to be something going on here. Where uh, game one of the of the Stanley Cup Final is my recent example. It's in overtime. I, I pull up the app to look at the live odds. I wanted to place a bet because I was going to bet a certain way, and we're about a minute into overtime. It's locked. You can't place any more bets, and. That, that sometimes well, it surely comes live on like a face-off. Well, so, but some sometimes you can bet like the money line, but you can't take the, you know, certain odds, right? Well, 
about 30 seconds later, and I, I'm watching on DirecTV, just full disclosure, the game ends. So uh, that's another reminder for me that whatever I'm watching and attempting to live bet is not the exact odds of what you see. Just make that like, because if that's like uh, the third period, the odds probably aren't locked. If it's like 10 minutes left of third period and someone scores, right? right. It's locked because the game was over. And, and I didn't know, know it because it I'm watching live. It's not on DVR. It's amazing to me how fast these, uh, these services know what's happening yeah, in these games. Yeah, we've talked about this. I wonder if, if, like, if you were on the fastest possible telecast, if that thing's changing with possession. I don't know. You know I mean, if the Avs get it and they're charging out of their end, do they become the favorite? But in, in overtime, they're fa- I mean, these these apps are faster than like uh, a live tweet, right? Like if someone's they're the live fastest the thing game, there is. Yes, um, it, it's crazy. I, and I just are they? Do they have someone physically at the game? Because if they don't, I don't know how they get this so fast. Well, I think they got a computer tied to something that's like if, if tied to the Paul, game if you're at the Titans game and you say uh, in your live tweeting a Henry touchdown run. Chances are on CBS, if you're watching it live on CBS and you're following Twitter, you're going to get Paul's tweet a little ahead of what the you actually see in the, on a in delay. A live game. So I, I, but I would argue with you that FanDuel, DraftKings, anyone, they could be faster than you yep. on the trigger for tweets. And I'm watching it live. How do they do that? We need to get a Vegas guest to tell us. Uh, that might have insight into that because I think we'd all be interested in knowing. It's also a, a massive advantage that I don't think people think of. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm thinking they'd be tied into the official game play-by-play from the league. But the official game play-by-play, NFL Jesus, as it's called, G-S-I-S, which is the official stat from the game that goes play-by-play. But sometimes it's that, not as fast no, as it's me not. tweeting Henry just Sometimes it is not as fast. Sometimes it gets way behind. On yeah. play by play, but it catches back up and then right. gets going again. But I mean, it's pretty consistent it, it play by consistent. play because it I gives you it the second and anything. three before the next play happens. So it knows the seven yard gain, but it's not lightning fast because a human's entering it into you know somebody spotting it, telling you who carried it, somebody's typing it in or dictating it in. Steph Curry won his first NBA Finals MVP. He was awesome. He in. in Five of the six games, he was unbelievable. And even uh, in the, the game where he scored 16 points and didn't hit a three, I mean, you're mesmerized just to see if he could keep the streak going of the 200-plus threes in, in, in games. 34 last night, seven rebounds, seven assists. Um, he had the 45-point uh, double-digit rebound game in game four in Boston. Uh, the, the string of games that he put together on the road in this NBA Finals is significant. He wins his fourth title. And Steve Kerr, by the way, just won his ninth. I know. Five as a player, four as a coach. I'd like to see him get another one as a coach and measure that. Um, I thought their consistency really did it. They scored 27, 27, 22, 27. No lull by quarter there. Uh, And usually in these games, the team that has lost has had a a dud quarter along the way. um, Let's see. They are the first team with four titles in eight seasons since the Bulls won six straight, 
or six and eight, excuse me, from 1991 to 1998. They had the two three-peats. That's why we view them different than we do the Warriors. It struck me, I mentioned this to you earlier, that the celebration in the NBA, and I don't know how long this has been, maybe, maybe it goes all the way back to Jordan going into the locker room and crying, hugging the basketball the year after his dad died or the first title after his dad died. Um, the celebration in the NBA when you win the final is no longer an explosion. It's a subdued, teary-eyed, uh, maybe relief. Uh, it's not, it doesn't feel like a culmination. It feels like an exhale. So last night, Curry down on the ground for a minute, up, and, and you know, you're hugging people, and it's, it's kind of a subdued thing. It's not, yeah. it's not the World Series throwing your arms in the air and everybody converging on the mound and jumping up and down and pouring out of the dugout before it settles down. Uh, Stanley Cup is usually that way, and and the loser is waiting on the winner to calm down before you get the handshake line. Um, and NFL, I think, is usually like that. But the NBA has become a, uh, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it feels different. Yeah, but I think part of it is the team aspect. Like the Warriors... And if you were I, winning it you. on a last-second shot, even yeah. if it was game six, it'd probably be different, And it's too. probably different. You've come different. to terms with it for four minutes. They took The Celtics took out their starters. It's a different... Two and a half uh, or three and a half. It's a different celebration on the visitor's floor, too, than it yeah, is the home environment. Um, but I, I was a bit surprised. I, I agree with you. It was more subdued than what I expected it would be, given the fact of two years ago they had the worst record in the NBA... You had Clay Thompson, who had two devastating injuries. Uh, Draymond Green and Steph Curry both were banged up and injured that season. And to put it back together, to have Andrew Wiggins, for instance, come come to life uh, and really show out throughout this postseason, and then specifically the finals. Uh, Jordan Poole to be a, a a very versatile bench player for them with uh, uh, some some consistent scoring and production. Yeah, you, I, I kind of thought they were going through the motions a bit more than what I expected. At the same time, though, like... Uh, also, the stage assembly They have been there forever. and done that. You stage know? assembly takes forever. Yeah. So even if you did have a big celebration, you would have been done with it for a long here, time by the time the here, stage was up. I didn't even wait until the stage was up. Something I worth mentioning, I didn't... I, I watched the post-game pressers, and that's it. I didn't even last that long. Um, something to keep in mind, just from a Boston perspective, I think they'll be back. Like it, I expect this young group to be back. But, again, you don't really know in today's sports landscape. Um, and the NBA is stacked with stars. But um, how they lost was not how they got to the finals through you know, rebounding after a loss with a big win or having players step up on consistent nights or back-to-back nights, consecutive nights to stay consistent on the scoreboard. In game four, the Celtics led with under five minutes left, lost that game. We mentioned that's the 45-point game by Curry. Game five, they led late in the third quarter. They end up losing that one. They fell apart. And game six, they led early yesterday, and then that quickly fell apart. It was the third quarter, and you could just tell – they were not going to win that game and take it back to Game 7. Um, they were outscored 21 points combined in the fourth quarter each of the last three games. That was significant and why Golden State ultimately wins and why, and what we can point to if they don't consistently get back to this level, um, what could have been. 
because after winning game one and having some and leading the series 2-1, they had a chance there. And then Curry took over. Props to him. Um, he's one of those players that I don't get tired of. And I go in cycles with a lot of guys. Like um, I did it with Jordan growing up where I loved him and then you started to hate the guy because he won so much and then it's back to you love him at the end of the career. Um, LeBron can certainly be put in that same category. I don't view Curry that way. I don't get tired of Curry being on top the same way I do others. Because, and it might be because I don't, I don't view him as the, uh, the, the selfish superstar. And I think part of the greatest players of all time have a selfish quality, if I can call it that, where everything goes through them. It doesn't always go through Curry, but he's always going to get his, if that makes sense. Yeah. This series also wasn't – I mean, six-game series is six-game series. It wasn't that close. The Celtics played a tremendous uh, game one. They played a tremendous fourth quarter in game one to come back and steal the road game. Yeah. Um, but Golden State was very close. It, Golden State shouldn't have fallen apart in that game. I know the result is the result, and I'm the first guy to say that all the time. This could have easily been a five-game series um, as opposed to a six-game six game series. So Boston, um, you know, at 2-1 really didn't do, do much with it. And you got to give the Warriors credit for that. But I felt like the gap between these two teams was pretty substantial in the end. Uh, just to uh, pass on the the – Franchise news of uh, a pro sports team here locally in Nashville. The Nashville Predators will have a new controlling owner uh, soon. The, the Nashville Predators have confirmed oh. um, that Bill Haslam, the brother of Jimmy Haslam, who owns the Cleveland Browns, uh, Bill Haslam, the former governor of Tennessee, is now one of the uh, shareholders with the Nashville Predators. And the way I understand it, Paul, and I'm forgive me for not... I'm trying to pull up the exact quote here. Um, the way I understand this is it's, he's not buying the no, entire expected team. Expected to become a minority owner in the next few months. And in the next few years, throughout a multi-phased purchase transaction, he will become the club's minority owner. So it's a gradual... Majority owner. Purchase. Majority owner, yeah. Yeah, so... Gradual it, purchase. So what this is, is... Uh, just a quick backstory on how this is going to take place and why it's he's buying in gradually. Herb Fritch was the majority owner, is the majority owner of the Nashville Predators. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I, they've got several names on their ownership list. They got a, a local group of ownership guys together that, that kept the team from moving from Nashville to uh, Hamilton in, in Canada. Near uh, Toronto. Uh, yes, and this was 2007. He Since is, then, Herb Fritch is chairman of the Predators. Okay, um, he is Herb Fritch. Prior to that year, when they saved the team from leaving, um, he is and was a season ticket holder. Still is. Still sits out in the crowd with the Preds at Preds home games. He is a cancer survivor and is getting up there in age. And I think part of this is. Uh, eventually, former Governor Bill Haslam will buy out all of that, and he will become the majority shareholder of the Nashville Predators, and and gradually will get more and buy in more to Fritch's share of everything. I think a lot of fans will welcome this transition, 
It's, not a, va- that it's a vastly different yes. feeling than a decade and a half ago. Not or that they're yeah, not that they're not appreciative of what Fritch has done and how things have worked, but this team has gotten a little bit stale. David Poyle is basically general manager for life, a, a guy we all like and admire, hockey hall of famer, uh, but the only general manager the franchise has ever known. Um, who many feel has maybe done as much with this franchise as, as he, he could. A lot of people in management over there who feel uh, completely independent, um, as if they don't really answer to anybody but are, have a fiefdom. Um, yes. And, um, you know, we haven't heard from Herb Fritsch. There, was, there were calls even from media to hear from him about what direction he wanted this team to go, what he expects, because – Poyle and and Sean Henry, who runs the business side of the operations, have been given like complete freedom to be the spokespeople for the team, and that's not uncommon in some situations. But you never really heard from this this right. owner, and I, I don't think Haslam will be a meddler, but I do think you'll hear from him at least in the I, beginning about a direction and a tone and an expectation that he has. And I think people are thirsty for that with this team, which topped out with a Stanley Cup run but hasn't figured out how to match it or surpass it, obviously. I, I can't say how I have the connection to know this. Um, I just I know that people that have worked with Bill Haslam have enjoyed working in their job. So I think if you work for the organization, they're not freaking out over this. Yeah. Um, and I'm not speaking like from like a – GM perspective. Right. I'm saying just organizationally. organizationally. Um, and I, I would also say I think it's a home run opportunity for the franchise because you have a former governor of Tennessee who loves the state, loves the city, and has no intention of doing anything but making sure the team wins a, wins a title. Yeah, and there was some panic last night. The first report didn't include Haslam's name, so there's immediate speculation about um, fear of moving. I think they have a 27-year lease now because they've that, this building has constantly been they Bridgestone run Bridgestone Arena, Arena, constantly been revived. They control and the renovated. entire calendar of the of the venue. It's like the sixth most profitable arena in the country or the world. Or the something world, ridiculous like that. Um, you know, it's a great concert town, obviously, um, and the upkeep's been been good. Um, and so that threat of moving when you've got a former governor of Tennessee is not a, not a thing, um, I, I wouldn't think. So you don't have to worry about any of that. And um, in terms of being heard from, again, I don't, I don't think he's going to come in and hold daily press conferences, but he's been governor of the state. So he's not going to be afraid to speak, at least periodically, I wouldn't think. I mean, you can't feel good if you're uh, in the team management. You mentioned Poyle and, and John Hines and others. Like, if you're getting a, a new controlling owner, there will yeah. be you different... you got to interview again, pretty much. Sure. Uh, but how quickly does that happen? Does it sound like it happens before the next season rolls around? No. It doesn't happen before they have to make a decision on Philip Forsberg's future. He's about to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, there are a lot of things going in. It, it's not like it changes the immediate plan. But I think the long-term future of the Preds is very stable, and it already was. Let, let me say that. Um, it's very stable because you have Bill Haslam, former governor of Tennessee, owning the Nashville Predators and running the majority uh, shareholder um, day-to-day operations from a business perspective. And uh, the comparisons are going to be like, oh, look what Jimmy Haslam has done to the Browns. 
completely separate. And when I say people enjoy working, uh, working with uh, Bill Haslam, I know nothing about uh, Jimmy Haslam's uh, workplace. I can only speak on behalf of uh, the former governor, and uh, I was told nothing to worry about in that regard. Cool. So that's, I think that's good news for everybody who is with the organization that you know, might be a ticket salesman or uh, maybe booking suites for Bobby Carpenter for a Coldplay show or whatever. Um, coming up, we get back to the NFL. Peculiar offseason for the New England Patriots. Really a head-scratcher, if you think about it. And it's just presumed because of Bill Belichick that everything's going to be okay. And honestly, I, I understand why he deserves benefit of the doubt. He's the GOAT of coaching. But, man, if uh, I'm thinking about the development of Mac Jones. There are a lot of questions and not many answers right now as they prepare to start training camp. We'll explain next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Very random. We're hearing some red hot chili peppers right now on the radio and Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, I'm a big fan. They, their library of music is insane. Like I, I thought I had heard like a majority of what they've done. If you go on iTunes, Paul, just do this randomly and just hit play. Like the number of songs that they have is crazy. I had no idea they had that many songs in their band library. I think they have something new out now. Um, maybe. Um, Outkick 360 rolls on. Again, very random. Maybe think of this because uh, I was recently listening to them. Um, what do we think about what's going on in New England? Um, I, I mean, there are reports that Mac Jones is, is, has really done a nice job in the transition from year one to year two. Uh, there has it, the reporters in Boston and Foxborough and those covering the Patriots say um, there is a ton of optimism based on their interactions and uh, how they observe what's going on. At the same time, I don't know how we know really what to expect given the fact that Josh McDaniel's not there. He's now the head coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. And Paul, it's not, it's not that he's not there. It's, it's that they have defensive guys and special teams gurus um, 
working the offense now. Joe Judge is working specifically with the passing game and with Mac Jones. I did a Fox News rundown on this recently. Like you look at teams around the AFC and particular teams in their division. I, I, I'm giving the Bills that division. I think the Bills might be the best team in football. But you look at the Jets with Zach, T- uh, with Zach uh, Wilson, right? And yes. they've really worked to give him things on offense. Brees Hall there, Garrett Wilson there. Two pretty good weapons out of this draft. Probably the best running back, one of the best receivers. You look at Tua in Miami. <clears throat> They've worked hard to surround him. they got Tyreek Hill, one of the best receivers in the game. And then you look at what they've done in New England. They traded for Devontae Parker, who's missed nine games, I think, in the last two years and has never really reached his potential and doesn't get you excited for a team that consistently misses at wide receiver. They drafted in the second round um, Taquan Thornton, Thornton. Taquan Thornton who you know, is widely regarded to be like a fourth or fifth rounder. And they drafted him in the second round. Very now, specific. I mean, yeah, they could turn him into something, but he's, he's a long, uh, slight guy. Fast, but people seem to think you can knock him off his feet very easily. Um, and this is a team with a bad record at wide receiver throughout who counted on Brady to turn people into guys. But outside of that Randy Moss era – Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola, smaller slot guys have carried them. They've not had big outside receiving forces. It doesn't seem like they've kept pace. Then you go to the lack of a coordinator. They've got Joe Judge and um, and Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia working on offense, a defensive guy and a special teams guy. Charlie Weiss was their offensive coordinator at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the Belichick regime. Then um, they went a year without. Then McDaniels was uh, their offensive coordinator for a term. Then they went two years without. Then Bill O'Brien. Then McDaniels back. Those four guys for the bulk of the time. And, and uh, three years without. Now they have no quarterback coach and no offensive coordinator. And, I mean, and that very strikes vague. me as an ego driven thing like uh i alone can fix it almost uh but and, you know, maybe he's not maybe that, he's calling the plays himself belichick but he's maybe not one that, of these guys uh, is calling it the ego thing um like to me that just doesn't make sense because that's never been an issue before like he brought back josh mcdaniel like he's always had the next guy right, i was surprised they didn't go back and get bill o'brien that's what a lot of people yeah. thought would happen. Yeah, and I mean, it, 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 the vague titles are also just peculiar. That's the only like, um, and it's it, it it's got to be for more than just throwing the media off. I mean, it, it, come on. I mean, I mean, the, Matt Patricia's title is senior football advisor. I, I know, um, analyst advisor. I mean, um, it, it just it doesn't make a whole lot. Joe Judge, his primary background is special teams. There's nothing wrong with that. He's been a head coach. Nothing for a wrong with of that. Years. But like it, traditional, and tradition doesn't have to really factor in. It just to me, you mentioned a lot of these quarterbacks. Let me get to my overriding. And look, they don't have a here. defensive coordinator either, officially named. But I mean, well, Belichick but, is the de facto defensive coordinator. 
But even even so, uh, even though they don't have that guy, they've got Bill Belichick, Steve Belichick on the headset. Gerard they have Mayo. they have Matt Patricia back. Yeah, right. Like that, they have you know, Gerard Mayo. I mean that great uh, names that just make sense. Um, you mentioned those other quarterbacks, and then you throw in Mac Jones. And the one thing I would say is those other. You mentioned Tua. We could have tons of questions about Tua. But what we don't say is Tua has built-in excuses anymore. What this is, if something hits the fan with Mac Jones this year, this is a built-in excuse for why it didn't work. Multiple levels. And it has nothing to do with Mac Jones. Personnel and coaching. Multiple levels. And and you go to uh, Miami, I'm not thinking of who the offensive coordinator is, but he's got a head coach with the offensive background coming no, Mike off Mike McDaniel's of the calling tree. plays. Okay. He's calling so plays he, for the first time in his career. I don't know who, at any level. who the quarterback coach is, but he's got a guy coming off one of the big trees who is regarded as, you know, hiring these young guys. It's turned out pretty well. If you look at what just happened in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. where that, there was a guy that nobody thought was going to be anything, a, a twig off the tree, right? He went to Super Bowl in what, his second year or yes. third year? Um, third you know, year. Mike, Mike McDaniel is an interesting guy. They, they brought in a lot to surround Tua, who's limited. But you can play with a limited quarterback if you run the right balanced offense, he's limited, call the right to, plays. To and, your point, he's, they're going to know one way or the other. Right. right? And they're going to get a definitive verdict. Are you going to get a definitive verdict on Mac Jones? I think people generally talk more fondly of Mac Jones about his poise, about his, his pocket, uh, about his huddle control, about all those things. You hear great things about Mac Jones that way. But against the caliber of competition they've got in the division, which is something they're not used to, and against the caliber of teams in the AFC, which is something they're not used to. I mean, I said when Brady went to Tampa Bay and, and they won the first year, I don't think it's fair. Too many people were saying, well, Brady wins. It was Brady. It wasn't Belichick. And I said, look, I think it's a lot easier for the quarterback to go somewhere and win right away than for the coach to replace the quarterback and win right away, and they did a, lot, a bad job replacing the quarterback the first year. Now you're in year three, second year with your rookie quarterback. Now I'd say it's fair to start to compare, and I don't feel very confident about them at all. Um, I agree with you, and you know, I, I want to point out, because I, I'm not in the chat, but I'm assuming there, there could be a Patriots fan who's yelling at this. Joe Judge was a college quarterback. Um. He did coach wide receivers for a year with the Giants before he was just the special teams coordinator, but that's his background. Um, Matt Patricia, defensive background. Um, Bill Belichick is the greatest. Like you, when you compare what he's done in New England and how he coaches, I mean, he is exalted as the guy in the league. So, yeah, and if you know defense work. to the level that he knows defense, you know offense. Yeah, I mean, it can work. These guys know offense. <laughs> But, I mean, you, you want... It's not conventional it's, in it's, any way. It's, it, and it's, also, it's just strange that in year two, where you have, at the time, it was presumed McDaniels was turning down the opportunity to interview previous years because he, for Bob Kraft, was the coach-in-waiting in New England. And when you lose the guy that has been there and has been the heir apparent, at least presumed... 
and he finally takes the job after years of not taking a job, and you don't replace your offensive guy with a guy that wears an offensive hat, that, from Belichick's standpoint, it's just a strange move. And I don't know how long... And he's going with what he knows and not something from the outside. But at the same time, like, you've got a year-two quarterback. This is a huge chance for him to develop. Um, and, and they say that the development, Paul, from your rookie year during that first official offseason with your team is where you begin to really blossom into the player you're going to become. And I think it's got to be difficult for Mac Jones to do that this offseason. Bill O'Brien was only the offensive coordinator in one season, 2011. But he was there from 2007 through 2011. So there's a lot of familiarity there. I'm surprised, again, he didn't go get him. He's uh, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach at Alabama now. Is that a better job? I don't know. I I think, to me, it depends on where Bill O'Brien ultimately wants to end up. Does he want to get back into the NFL, or does he want to get a college job? I think he probably could more easily get a college head coaching job than an NFL head coaching job, and certainly more easily get a college coaching job than an NFL coaching job with the power that he had at the end of his time in Houston, which turned out to be a fiasco where he did something like trade DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona for nothing, virtually. Um, so, you know, I, maybe Bill Belichick wanted him back and he didn't, he didn't want to go back to New England. I don't know. That's pure speculation. But no. that would have been a logical move in most people's eyes, the way he worked with Weiss and McDaniels and uh, previously, certainly McDaniel. See, I think it's going to end up being Joe Judge calling the offensive plays um, personally just because that – And we may never know. He, we, may, we may not, um, unless one coach is up in the booth and the other's on the sideline coach, you know, yeah. focusing on another position. But I, I say Joe Judge because he's the one that's working with the quarterbacks. So I don't know why you would have your play caller not do that. Yeah, but there was stuff about uh, – there were stories about Patricia. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's focused on the with, run game or something. Yeah. I, no, I think there Patricia's was some stuff working about Patricia with Zapp, working with uh, – With Bailey Zapp. Yeah. Not so Matt So they're Jones. both working with quarterbacks, <laughs> which is weird. Um, and, and, you know, Belichick, it's – he doesn't have to hand out titles. That that's not the purpose no, of this I mean, he's discussion. He's allowed to be unconventional. Sure. He can be the most unconventional just, guy ever. It's just peculiar. That's all. It, it, from a guy who has always gone to the next offensive guy, who then becomes a head coach or stays, right? Like, there's always been a rhythm and a um, pecking order, if you will. A pecking order. Yeah, yeah. But a, a rhythm and just a flow to the Patriots style, meaning uh, not not a Patriot way. That's not what I mean. What a, they are able to with, with during the Brady era, they are able to line up. It's very hard to define what they were offensively. They could they could run the ball forty times and the very next week attempt forty five passes and win both ways. And there, a big part of that is Brady at the line of scrimmage. But I would argue when you're drafting Mac Jones in the first round, he's always going to be judged to that standard. And Belichick is putting the stamp of approval on him to do the similar qualities, right? So with, with all that in mind, I, I, don't, I don't know how you don't um, stabilize things just by making things simple instead yeah. of, and maybe it is behind the scenes. I seriously doubt it, though. And by the way, we left out of that conversation their first-round pick, um, 
who was the offensive lineman that that uh, Cole oh, from Chattanooga from Chattanooga, first round pick, twenty second overall, maybe. He thought he, uh, he thought he was being pranked. Yeah, or or who San Francisco was it laughed and they didn't laugh insultingly. L.A. LA. The Rams they didn't, didn't laugh have a, insultingly. They didn't have a pick until the fourth round, and they thought they had a crack at it. They him. thought they were going to get him on. They weren't laughing that San Francisco uh, that that New Orleans time. took him. They were laughing that they thought he was going to be available in the fourth, and and then they watched him go off three rounds earlier. Something to watch. We're not going to have any. Your, Paul's right. We may never know. At the end of the season, we may not know. And they could be way better than um, we expect. I'm not expecting them to be that good. I think they'll be middle of the pack. Well, one, what, their defense will be good, right? Their run game can be good. Mac Jones could be good. But the they're not going to be Bills. The good. way they're going about things is way different than than what we've seen offensively in years past based on what Belichick has done. And there there have been behind the scenes glimpses of like Brady and Belichick on NFL films. Like beginning the game plan on that Tuesday where Brady's watching film with Belichick and they're going through how to attack Ed Reed that week, right? So it's not like Bill Belichick doesn't know offense. I, that's not what we want to portray no, here. But there are more people involved in it. For sure. Um, give us your thoughts. At Outkick360 is where you can do that. On this date in 1994, we must discuss this, Paul, when we come back. I was living in a studio apartment in Washington, D.C. Outkick 360 rolls on. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. We say hello to Sports Radio 104.7 across the Upper Cumberland. Hello, Summo Sports Radio in Joplin, Missouri. Fox Sports Shoals. Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Um, Huntsville and Florence. Say to everyone uh, there at Big River, we say hello to you. Uh, on this date in 1994, the OJ Bronco chase. And I, I believe game five of Knicks Rockets. It was game five. Uh, game five. Um, you had the World Cup and the U.S. Open underway. There was the Rangers parade that was taking place. There was a lot going on in the world of sports, and everything stopped. When I say stopped, coverage stopped literally to go show updates of OJ Simpson. In the Ford Bronco. This is the beginning of me not understanding why. Um, could, could the NBA have been on NBC at that time? I feel like it was. It, whatever it oh, was. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why couldn't NBC have stayed with the Knicks and the Rockets and let everybody else cover OJ? And then you had both. I, I know. The whole world wanted to see OJ. So you had to go to OJ and you had to go to split screen at best. But I wanted to yell at John Starks and, and I could change the channel and go back and forth instead of NBC trying to have both or going away for a time from the Knicks. Um, I lived in Washington, D.C. in a studio apartment on Massachusetts Avenue in DuPont Circle. It was a you know, crazy night 
the most memorable thing uh, about the OJ trial, uh, the OJ car chase, at least subsequently, was the phony phone call that got through Peter Jennings oh. from a Howard Stern fan. And Peter yes. Jennings was completely oblivious that it was a phony phone call. And Al Michaels, as Al Michaels can do, very kind of softly told Peter Jennings, Peter, lest anyone think that was serious, um, that's a fan of a certain radio program, and it's, it's not. Lest, the greatest use of lest uh, of all time. But what a night. Um, oh, I mean, I... I uh, I was in my grandparents' living room watching this game, and everyone's fixated. Keep in mind, too, I know you could flip channels. Um, I would argue the majority of everyone I knew at the time still could if not, not? No, uh, if not everyone. I mean, there were three channels. We but there was, and there, we had satellite and cable. But at my grandparents' house, like they had, they had channel. They had ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, and, and PBS. PBS. So if you're not a sports fan and there's no like social media, you're getting a phone call saying this is going on. If you're watching the game, you're getting a phone call saying it's going on and then you flip. And it, if you're in the main office, the, the main you know, network studio of NBC and the other two networks, you're literally the other two and that's it, are live. You've got this live on TV. That's why you send the signal to cut in um, while you have Game 5 going on in the screen, so you can show both and try to keep both audiences. Next because, day, because people were flipping. Next day, U.S. tied Switzerland in its opener. Imagine, so the, the World Cup opened that day, Thursday, but, and the, traditionally the home country opens the first day, but for some reason that was a Friday, and the U.S. played Saturday. I, I'm sure I can find this. Um, NBA TV or NBC, for that matter, should air that Game 5 game in its entirety one night. Last hurrah for the Knicks before John Starks went, uh, what, 0 for 19? And what if, I mean, Marv Alperts was on play-by-play. Did he just, like, set down the headset? Because they went to, they were had it on split screen, but they didn't use his play-by-play. He must have continued. Brent Hubbs, VolQuest, next.